What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Operation Grip Box podcast. Really excited to bring you this Camp Miss episode today with coach and entrepreneur Chris Bernard, CEO of Overtime Athletes, performance coach to athletes around the world. It's just absolutely inspiring the amount of impact this guy is making in terms of transforming athletes from where they are to the potential that can be reached with the right kind of coaching, which I know firsthand Chris provides. And in this episode, we go kind of all over the place. We talk about a story, we talk about the process, we talk about coaching, and then we get into spirituality a little bit. We start talking about Eckhart Tolle, Michael Singer and the Untethered Soul, and it was just really good. It was really enjoyable. I'm really fortunate to be able to connect with Chris, and I know you're going to love it as well. So without further ado, here is Chris Bernard. And, and where are you located? Where in Florida? St. Petersburg. And that's Central Florida? Yeah, Central Florida is basically right outside Tampa, Florida. Beautiful. And how's business? I uh, can't complain, man. Business is going well. Um, you know, got the OTA, the athletic side of things. We're doing some things over here with Strength Camp. I'm at the my gym right now, which is in St. Pete. Um, and we're expanding. we got a couple more gyms on the way. So, man, it's keeping me busy, that's for sure. And then what's your relationship with Strength Camp right now? Uh, I'm partners with Elliot Hulse and Strength Camp. Okay. So whatever yeah. whatever Strength Camp does, you're, you're a part in that decision-making process. Yeah, we have three different – I basically am the man – I guess you could say behind the scenes kind of pulling some of the strings and stuff. We have three different separate companies, International, where we have 20, 22, 24 gyms. Um, Strength Camp 2, which is our actual you know, brick-and-mortar gym here in St. Pete. And then we have Strength Camp Media, where we do a lot of online um, selling of programs and stuff like that. Good man. And then how's what's new with uh, OTA? OTA right now? Um, man, to be honest with you, I'm just, I'm just you know, got, got like a good thing going. So I'm just trying to keep swinging, you know. Um, got a bunch of, uh, you know, athletes I work with locally, uh, you know, as far as, you know, physically here. And then as far as what I'm doing is just kind of, you know, recording my training, recording my coaching, just kind of give a snapshot of what I do on a day to day on the, on the YouTube. And, uh, and yeah, just, you know, as I work with more guys and work with more athletes, just try to continue to pump out more products. Um, I'm working with other like-minded coaches. I linked up recently with a guy from uh, an MMA uh, MMA coach, Phil Phil yeah, Deroux, and he's a yeah, he's a really good coach. So just been doing some stuff with him, and and yeah, man, just keep it keep it going. Yeah, and I saw in the last really six nine months, your YouTube's really bubbled. Yeah, it's starting to get up there. I'm trying to keep it keep that going. You know what I mean? I'm not I'm not you know, I want to stay authentic. I don't want to be a, a, a me tour where I just, you know, kind of get off and get into entertaining guys or anything like that. I don't really want to go that route. I just try to kind of display what I do for my training and, you know, kind of take play the long road. I don't try to, you know, make viral videos or anything like that anymore. I just kind of try to put out what I do and come from a place of value. If I can continue to help out somebody, you know, I always look at it as, 
you know, when I was a kid, I had muscle magazines to look at to, to learn about training. So if I can continue to just pump out some training videos and some knowledge and little tidbits that, that I come across, uh, you know, I feel like I'm coming from a place of value can really start to help some of these kids. So good. And then who is you say knowledge you come across? Who are you, What's kind of caught your interest right now and who, who are you learning from? Training wise, right now, I'm reading a, a book um, uh, by Ralph Mann about sprinting. Okay. Um, Very yeah, familiar. I'm going back between between that and uh, and Speed Trap from Charlie Francis. Okay. Very familiar with both of. And then, what about you said in training? What about what? What are you learning about outside of training? Um, outside of training right now here, I usually go between two different styles. I basically go between three styles of learning and it's kind of just on a day to day basis, to be honest with you. Um, one is more like, you know, personal development right now over the past like two years, it's been a lot of mindset and time management, things of that nature. Um, and then, you know, I've had this side to me that I've been, you know, recently, I don't want to say introduced to, but it's just something that I've always kind of explored. And that's like a little bit more spirituality stuff and, uh, you know, just kind of mindfulness. So I'm always constantly kind of indulging and reading some new books when it comes to that. I got into it through, uh, through power of now, which is Eckhart Tolle. Very familiar. From that, it's kind of just spinned off into a, you know, a couple different books. Right now I'm reading this book called untethered soul. I forget who the author is, but it's actually pretty good. Oh, I've read that. Uh, Sanders, Saunders? No, what is that guy's name? I could pull it up. I'm not sure what his name is. I know it's a different person. Yeah, Singer. Singer. Michael A. Singer. Singer. Michael Singer. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty good one. You know, it, it's definitely it's definitely along the lines of, um, you know, Power of Now really hit me hard. It kind of, you know, quote, unquote, enlightened me. And, uh, and you know, from there I've been been – I, I jived with it and I, I, you know, the deeper understanding of it all. And so it made me essentially start to kind of, you know, be thirsty for more. So I started picking up more and more books along that line. Yeah. It's, it's so good. Cause it's like, we have all this information available to us and it's like, Oh, okay. I want to, I want to get, I want to get it all. And I want to be able to, to get as much as I can, you know, to help me get where I want to go. Then you read something like that. And it's like, this is a guy who's very far along on his path. And he's like, it's just about right here. Yeah. And if you, and if you can be content with what you have right here, then you're good. Then you've reached a point, but it doesn't just happen like that. You know, most people that haven't done all that searching, they, they're not content with not with being right there. It's, 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 it's really good. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. I agree with you. You know, anytime I get a little bit busy with everything going on at work and I see my ambition, I've always been an ambitious kind of guy. Whenever I get carried away with a lot of that, you know, it's one of those things where that kind of is, is one of those that grounds me, kind of brings me back down and uh, allows me to focus on what's really uh, what's really important, what's really real. And then I want to bring this up with you because this makes me think about this is a common theme I've been talking about with with guests on my podcast in the performance industry is, you know, you, you're building your brand online and on with that, how does, how do you feel 
with distraction and like phones and cameras and with athletes and, you know, connecting that with, with mindfulness and being present, do you notice that that is hurting performance at all uh, in the athletes that you see or, or even with yourself? The reason I ask is this is something that I consciously deal with every day where, you know, I, I'm, I'm recognizing that I'm utilizing digital media as a tool but at the same time, I need to put it away to be able to walk in and engage with the guys I coach and, or, you know, as a parent, as a dad or with whatever I'm doing. Yeah, it gets pretty tough. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy how how everything's transpired when it comes to social media, um, you know, everything like that. It, 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 you know, you, you, if you get trained by me, one of the things that you notice is there's a camera on. You know, I try to have my camera guy kind of be like a fly on the wall. And the minute that I see that take away from either A, coaching, or B, them and their performance as far as what they need to do and execute that day, then I, either I, you know, I'll address it immediately. Um, when it comes to social media, sometimes the guys will see me put on a story, Instagram or something like that. You know, in my mind, it kind of goes along those lines of, you know, if you look good, you play good type of deal. And I know a lot of these kids, they like to be featured on, you know, they see, they, 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 they get posted on my thing. They get a couple followers, things like that. So it kind of, you know, some guys, it's going to motivate them. At the end of the day, I always try to look at what's the stimulus I need to apply to this athlete today to make them better. Um, you know, not saying that that's a, a, one of the things that I utilize, but if it ends up helping them, I'll utilize it. If it ends up hindering them or taking away from what they need to do to execute that day, as far as training goes, then I, I limit it. I take it out, you know? So I just kind of continue to, to try to keep myself grounded in what I'm trying to do. What, what, what am I trying to accomplish each and every day? Um, when you talk about mindfulness, you know, it's a big, you know, obviously a lot of people mention this, but, uh, you know, focusing on, you know, the process today as opposed to the outcome. So if you break that down to the simplest level, it's like, Hey, when they're in here, they're receiving this training session. I don't let any of my guys on the phone, even to go over, check a message. I think one time ever I was okay with it. And I think it was one of my professional baseball guys. He was waiting for a call from his agent to see if he was going to get traded and he had to take the call. And I was like, you know, that's cool. But I don't care who you are. You know, my guys will know I'll snap on them if they're over there checking their phone or doing something silly during a training session. Um, And I just try to keep the focus pretty high because I let them know this is 60 minutes of focus. You know, when you come in here with me, you're trying to accomplish something. Um, You know, life, obviously, you want to take it easy outside of here, do things you got to do to make yourself happy and stuff like that. But we're trying to get somewhere. We're trying to stack training sessions on top of each other and and accomplish the overall goal. And through that, I just need that 60 minutes of focus. So it really, I really kind of set the tone early. And then... What is your process? You said that you, you asked yourself the question of what do I need to do today? What stimulus do I need to provide to, to motivate this athlete? Is this, is this something you just ask in your head before a session or is this something you write down or do you do this every time? What does that look like? Yeah. So, so to answer your question, you know, when it comes to being a coach and, and honestly, this, this just 
purely comes from experience because at first I think I was a D I, I, I think I was able to be a good coach when I was young because I was still trying to be an athlete. So I knew what a lot of these athletes that I was coaching, you know, when I was still trying to play in the NFL, I was still coaching, running a full-time training business. And I was, all I was coaching was high school and collegiate athletes. I had maybe a, maybe a pro here and there, but I, I didn't really like to train them. But as I got older, I gained experience and experience led me into seeing, you know, just how I go about my approach and, and taking a, a, you know, obviously when you're an athlete, you have an approach to the way you, you, you go about your training sessions. And for me as a coach, I basically started doing the same thing. So when it comes to game planning and what I need to do for that particular athlete each day, you know, I just kind of simply do a five minute kind of preparation. I have basically, you know, a clipboard and a program, uh, which is basically kind of what I think of as parameters um, for them to follow. And then I, I kind of, you know, try to remind myself each day of what that particular athlete needs. For instance, let's say I'm coaching, you know, two football players, right? One is is more of a skill position and one is, is, is more of a, let's say, lineman. Um, I'll, I'll know in particular, even though the program will look similar for both of them, I'll know quickly how I want to progress or regress one of their drills so that they can get the stimulus they need. In addition to that, you know, you have to to factor how that athlete is performing today. Yesterday, I had two basketball players in here. You know, today's fresh week. It's Monday. Uh, Usually they've come in, they give crazy effort. I mean, these two are just model athletes I love to work with. They just come in, they trust the process, they're bought in, and and, and they really kind of just, you know, they do, they shut their mind off and go. Well, yesterday I could tell they were extremely fatigued. So I had to start, you know, I knew I have two, three more weeks of this training block with them. So I knew this this was one of those dog days for them. So I knew, hey, I got to scale back a little bit so that I don't completely wipe them out for the rest of the week. So at the end of the day, it is a case by case. I try to I try to approach it, you know, I try to have a little bit of insight before I get into the actual training session. And then when I'm in the actual training session, it's just a matter of being able to quickly scan, um, you know, how they're performing, what they're looking like. Um, you know, if I have an athlete who's extremely fatigued then we're doing unilateral plyometrics and it's, and it's a very high focus, you know, type of drill, I might scale that back or I probably will because I know the, 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 the risk versus reward at that point, you know, is probably a little bit high. So it's just one of those things that you constantly have to auto-regulate, make sure that they're being able to receive enough stimulus to uh, enough stress to the body to overcome and get better for the next day and just continuously try to stack those on top of each other. It used to be a point where I used to just write out a program and no matter what you're going through it. And I'm, I'm, you know, if it was a percentage or we were doing one rep max, it was always, Hey, we got to get higher than last time. Now I realize, you know, athletes are going to have their days and those days that they have that are really good, I'm not going to hold back the reins and the days that they, you know, they need to have the reins hold back, you know, go ahead and do that. Uh, but we just try to stack a lot more, you know, quality training sessions on top of each other. And that's how I'm starting to notice, see great results. And then how do you approach it to them getting benefit from a session where they are fatigued and physically they might not see speed or performance gains from, from the set today 
nothing on the coaching, just from how they walked in and, and how, you know, the competition they've done before, what do you do to make sure that they still get something out of the session? Is it focused right. on recovery? Mobility? Question. Um, yeah, it depends. It depends. You know, if it depends, if it's, it, it depends on where they're at in their off season, you know, just going along what you said, you know, one of those things might be, Hey, I can notice that this guy was hoping to hit a new, you know, pretty consistent with a jump or with a 10 yard or a 40 yard, or maybe something consistent with a bench press or squat. And he just isn't feeling it that day. You know, it's not firing as much or, He's just he's just fatigued. I can quickly turn that into a uh, a mental tough day. You know what I mean? I can I can I can quickly start to get in their ear like I did yesterday. Hey, these are these these are the dog days. You know what you're supposed to you have to do um, what you have to do whether you feel like it or not. You know what I mean? It's one of those days where we're just going to put in work. I'm going to make sure they're not compromised, meaning that I'm not doing any high risk or very technical, uh, you know, drills that are going to make them, you know, where they can injure themselves essentially. But other than that, you know, I'll make, I'll make it a little bit tough where they can go through the motions and they just got to test their will a little bit. Or if it's somebody who might be a little bit higher end and I need to scale back a little bit, that, that could be very well what I do. I just go ahead and uh, scale back and, Hey, we're probably better off if they're extremely fatigued and extremely sore. Um, it might be one of those where it's just, hey, let's scale back today. Let's perform a little bit of recovery. Majority of the time, they'll actually go through some form of a workout, even if it's just to kind of, you know, warm the body up, get it stretched out, do some kind of dynamic work. Um, you know, if it has to act as a little bit more conditioning that day, I won't, I won't beat them up too much. But, uh, yeah, it just depends on, on who the athlete is and what phase of their training block they're actually in. Yeah, man, that is, that is something that I fight and in dealing with every day. So I serve as a director of football performance for a, a high school football team here in Deep East Oakland, California, Castlemont High School. And very rough area. A lot of these guys, you know, I don't know what they're learning in school, but they, they come to practice and just there's, for many of them, the energy is zapped. A lot of the guys aren't eating. So for me, it's like finding this balance of, okay, I got guys motivated here. So let's really get, let's get these guys where they can really get some performance gains. Mm-hmm. And then I got to spend time over here. And it's like, okay, what can I do to get in his head of using like what you're saying and making this a teaching tool of, you know, this is about being able to get stuff done, whether you feel like it or not. Let's turn this into a, a mental toughness strategy, uh, mental toughness time. It, it's just something I, it's, I deal with every day. So I'm curious in terms of what you do to, you know, make the most out of that session. So where guys aren't just feeling like, okay, I came in here and 60 minutes later, you know, now, now I'm leaving and I didn't feel like I get that much out of it. I didn't get some crazy sweat in. Right. You know, and one thing that I learned as a key, um, you know, for me is, I was able to, you know, I think as a coach, you have to quickly be able to identify, uh, you know, between athletes. I usually kind of categorize them in between one or two uh, different types of athletes, one who receives positive feedback and one who receives negative feedback Mm. and responds, you know, the best to it. Meaning, you know, I was the type of kid who it's like, tell me I can't do it and I'm going to put a chip on my shoulder and I'm going to go, you know, you kind of got, I got a little doggy, a little nasty in you. Whereas I have, you know, really good finesse athletes who it's just like, you, you, 
you you know you 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 wowed by them and you let them know you're wowed by or something they just did and that makes them respond better so there's a little bit of both you know and and, and you never know which athlete is going to be that but um if you can quickly identify like the ones you really got to get in their ear kind of talk a little shit to them you know and then they get sparked up and they get a little fired up and they can go and then there's some where it's like hey you compliment them and they just keep it going they feel good about themselves they puff up their chest and then all of a sudden they can begin to uh begin to perform the next couple sets a little bit better and you turn around that training session um you know and and that's just from the psychological standpoint and then obviously like you said there's obviously the the physical standpoint where it's like you know some guys are going to have their days and some guys aren't going to be able to be as motivated as much um you know one thing i always try to do is I'll try to find those those leaders in the weight room. You know, that's those kids that, you know, they might not be the best on the team, but they're going to give that effort day in and day out. And I always, I always reward those. I'm always shouting out those kind of kids, the ones who step up and, and give me that effort and stuff like that. Because I feel like, and it, it depends on age range, obviously, but, um, you know, especially in high school, those are the type of guys that, you know, if I'm shouting them out, you could start to see a couple more start to trickle in right after that. And, uh, you know, as long as you can identify the alpha dogs when it comes to the weight room and the ones who are going to give you that effort, uh, I, I typically see when I reward them, more will follow. And I noticed, cut. this is general, but, and this makes sense too, but for linemen, they're more of the, the positive reinforcement in my experience. And then the skill guys are the guys you can, you can try and sting on a little bit to get them, to get them motivated. Mm-hmm. And, and that makes sense, right? Cause if you're, if, if you're a lineman, you're a bigger guy. So you're going to be more self-conscious kind of about how you are Perform- performance specialist, Tim Grover. He talked about that. Like, yeah, the tall ones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's like, you couldn't, his usual approach did not work with the tall guys because they were already so self-conscious. They are. They got a lot going on in their brain. That just, you know, that's beautiful that you understand that because a lot of coaches, you know, they, they operate out of their own, how they reflect in on themselves. You know what I mean? They, they judge themselves and that's how they kind of start to take it out on some of the kids and stuff. But if you can start to kind of, there's such a deeper psychological perspective where like high school kids are at and like how you get the most of them. Like you can take a really, really good player. And if you beat him down, you know, you, you might end up not getting out anything out of him. You know, he might completely change his athletic career and, 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 you know, go a completely different route, but it's understanding that, you know, at that, at that age, it's it's you got to realize how big of a mentor you actually are to some of these guys. You know what I mean? And it can really kind of start to affect which way they turn. So, you know, obviously, I don't like to be, you know, try to soft shoulder them too much. But it is having a, 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 a decent amount or any kind of awareness you can when it comes to what maybe that particular athlete is going through. And that's a perfect example. When you get a bigger kid, you know, he's been especially lineman. He's been big his whole life. You know, it's one of those things. Some just have that nasty alpha dog when it comes to those linemen. Um, Usually see that in linebackers as well. But some, you know, they've been a a little bit chubby their whole life. So, you know, that positive feedback goes a long way. And then all of a sudden they drill something. You give them, hey, wow, you know, good job. Uh, You know, and then all of a sudden they start to continue to perform that. Um, I also noticed that with some of my guys who who tend to be a little bit short. You know what I mean? Short guys tend to 
tend to do. Actually, I'll say this about the D fifty two because some of them have a little spark on them, a little chip on their shoulder. But yeah, it's just it's 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 those kind of things. Being able to identify what you get most out of. Obviously, in a team setting, it's one of those where you got to get really integrated and know your players. But when you start working with you know small semi private uh, guys like you know two to three to a group, you could quickly identify those kind of psychological triggers. You mentioned briefly about the you responded to to the negative triggers. Can we go a little bit deeper into that in terms of your personal story? You know, where did you grow up and when did you start training yourself? Yeah, so, you know, I grew up here in Central Florida, um, Clearwater, Dunedin area. Um, I grew up playing pretty much all the sports. I, I realized at a pretty young age, um, I was pretty athletic. Um, and I was actually, I was actually positively rewarded, it, it, you know, going on those lines. You know, I went to, I went to a school where it's about 50, actually, you know, me being a white guy was, was a little bit more of the minority. Um, you know, so it was one of those things where as the white guy, I was like one of the fastest in my grade every year, which you typically didn't see. And, you know, through that, it kind of just, you know, you kind of build yourself up to be, oh, that's the, you know, the white running back, you know, he's the guy who can, who can, who can run fast. And, and, uh, yeah, so I just grew up playing all those sports. I grew up playing football. I grew up playing, uh, um, baseball, basketball. I even boxed. I mean, I, I just loved every single sport. Um, I loved, you know, every aspect of it. Um, got a little bit older. I made the decision when I got into high school, I had a guy tell me, I listened to everybody. And I, I had a guy once tell me who I looked up to tell me like, you know, you got to start focusing on one sport. So naturally, I basically start to shed away all the other sports and just focused on football, which looking back at it now, I wish I would have continued to play every single sport all the way through um, and really seen what I would excel at. But I just absolutely loved football. Um, you know, it was one of those things where we were. were we're in Florida, but we have that small town feel. Anybody will tell you outside of Dunedin was like, yeah, the Dunedin boys, those are, you know, it's kind of like that small town feel. So we all grew up basically playing on the same little league, high school, you know, football teams. Um, so that carried on over into high school. And, you know, we were, we were, we had a really, really solid team throughout my years. Um, I ended up getting a little, uh, getting, getting, having like a nagging injury to my Achilles in senior year. Kind of got a little bit carried away with some of the high school activities, extracurricular activities, if you uh -huh. will. And uh, yeah, just you know, I was a little bit influenced by some of the older heads who were doing doing some stuff outside of there. Nothing crazy. It's not like I was, you know, in and out of prison. I don't have any kind of sob story, anything like that. It just. You know, a lot of the guys who were a little bit older than me, who I thought were a little bit cooler, I was easily influenced by. Uh, so, you know, when you start to run around with them a little bit, you get a little off track from, you know, what you need to do. Here I was a kid who, who was literally overlapping sports my whole life to, you know, trying to chase girls and chase a little bit of paycheck and stuff like that during high school because I thought that was the cool thing to do. But, um, you know, after college or after high school, I quickly realized, oh, shit, like, I'm, you know, my window of opportunity to actually be, you know, play sports was quickly closing. So, um, you know, immediately after high school, I quickly found myself just being at a community college and saying, this isn't for me. Like, you know, here I go from from, you know, starting strong safety in 10th grade, which only two kids were 
were pulled up from 10th grade, you know, to, to thinking like very promising, you know what I mean? Just thinking, Oh man, I'm going to play college football. The, you know, life is good. All the, you know, I was an all-star my whole life to all of a sudden, Oh wow. Like where do I'm dropped off now? Um, I'm obviously giving you the fast version, but essentially I found myself, uh, the following year playing junior college football out in Arizona. And, uh, so real quick, there's some stuff I want to ask you in Arizona, but before, before we go there, so first, so you said you were in terms of kind of your peers, you were one of the better athletes and you mentioned, I, I, in terms of researching you and then what you just mentioned there, you said that you played all kinds of, of sports growing up. And do you feel like that helped you become the athlete that you were when you were younger? Oh, absolutely. 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 Like I had other guys who were better than me in, in like one sport, but as far as across the board, when it came to like baseball, basketball, football, volleyball, soccer, you know, track, everything, I was just pretty much that kind of eat. I was, I was that natural athlete who could pretty much be an all-star in almost every sport growing up. It was kind of weird when I was in about 10th, 11th grade, I hit a growth spurt and I grew about six to seven inches in like, I feel like it was in like one summer. And, uh, it was kind of funny because I, I wasn't that for, for like a period of two to three years, basically 11th, 12th grade, maybe a little bit of 10th grade, but I remember still being really solid football player. Um, I, I kind of lost that edge of being like the fastest guy in school and the highest jumper. I was still athletic, but I could tell I was a little bit, you know, awkward and gangly. I had, I grew all these inches and I, I was, I didn't know how to really move in my body. I had no relative strength. Um, but being that I just kind of always had a little bit of that coordination and just kind of baseline athleticism, it always allowed me to be pretty good at most sports. And, and like I said, I wish to this day I would have never stopped playing all those sports that I played when I was even, you know, from all the way up until ninth grade, I pretty much played every single sport every year. Yeah, one of my, one of my mentors out here is a gentleman by the name of Dwayne Carlisle. He's the former head SNC for the for the 49ers. And he was actually one of the first athletes that Mike Boyle coached late 70s, early 80s, Boston University. And something that Mike Boyle talks about consistently. And then what I learned from Dwayne, Dwayne is he said he had a boy who was number one running back in the state. This is his son, number one running back in the state of California, ended up playing at Notre Dame, another son who got a Division One basketball scholarship. And this is something Mike Boyle talks about is just playing a variety of different sports is a good thing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, think about it. I think they talked about in the combine this past year at a draft, you know, 287 or 289 or something crazy like that athletes were multi-sport athletes in high school what does that tell you you know not even not even from a level of just continuously staying in shape by playing the sport but think about this 
when you immediately, when I immediately dropped the other sports like basketball and baseball in high school, that's immediately when I started picking up some, some of the stuff that I probably should have kept my ass in, in, in sports. in. you know what I mean? I started doing some things that I just started getting involved with, with dumb stuff outside of there. So it's, 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 both factors of it you know not only are you obviously learning the skills and being able to continuously compete as an athlete and just the day day to day grind um you know but the, the other aspect of it is there's a lot of a lot of a lot of silly stuff you can get involved in outside of there when you take those things away it's like well you have a lot of free time now what are you doing with it yeah bruce arians former cardinals coach and quarterback coach who's you know Coach Roethlisberger, Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, he's the guy that brought resurrected Carson Palmer. You know, you could say he's the greatest quarterback coach of all time. And one of the factors he looked at was like, did these guys play other sports in high school? Because he thought it was a huge determinant in terms of just their feel of being able to feel in the pocket and their footwork and all that. Okay. So if let's say when you start drifting at 16, not you're not you didn't fly off the tracks, but you're drifting a little bit and it affected your, it sounds like it affected your ability to get, you know, a division one FCS scholarship. Uh-huh. If what, looking back, what would have been some words of wisdom, a mentor or someone could have said to you where you feel like it, you would have taken it in and it, and it would have, it would have redirected you. Hmm. You know, my heart throughout that whole time, I look back at that. My heart was always on the dream still. You know, I never, I never quit playing the other sports because it was, I wanted free time to go do run around with the fellas and stuff like that. It was just purely, my heart was still on that. I just always looked at it as, Oh, now I have more time to hit the weight room and stuff like that. But I never, I never had that, that mentor in high school to really kind of lock me down and tell and teach me the process. So words of wisdom, I, I can't, I, I can't tell you if there would be something that would essentially wake me up, but there was, there was, if somebody could have kind of showed me the way of like the day-to-day grind, you know, I was so focused on the outcome that what happens is you, a week, two weeks go by, you keep putting out the plan of training and hitting the weights and doing all this but then you look back at the weekend it's like well you might have put one or two good training sessions together and you're really not I wasn't getting anywhere so to answer your question I think it was if if somebody could just could have taught me at an early age to not be so obsessed with the outcome and get a little bit more obsessed with the process and like the day-to-day and like, hey, it's not about eating right and and training hard one day. It's about, you know, that consistently doing it, you know, four, five, six days a week. And that's really the kind of culture I try to create for a lot of our guys here because, you know, especially when you're young and immature, you know, you kind of don't realize – what it takes on a day-to-day basis until either a there's a coach that kind of establishes that with the program you know some of our off-season stuff was very laissez-faire very like just you know there was no structure to it so it allowed us the freedom to do whatever we wanted um so if i was if i was taught that if that was one thing that i think looking back that i could have had i you know i i think uh, you know, I, I don't regret obviously the outcome that I've I've had so far, but it was one thing that that I say, I say to myself, wow, that could have been a little bit different. Um, 
you know, I even joke about and I say, man, I don't even know what sport I would have played. I don't think I obviously would have played basketball because obviously you have to be, you have to be, you know, most guys need to be a little, have some height to them and, you know, they could, they could tell from an early age, but I was, I was a good basketball player. But uh, when it comes to like even baseball, like I look back at that and I'm like, man, I had some opportunities where I worked with, or I was ahead of some guys in eighth and ninth grade who later on got drafted. You know, mm-hmm. that were, one guy was my backup who ended up getting drafted. So it was just one of those things where I wished I would have just kept my nose to the grind and, and knew how to how to really the process of just a day to day. And I think that's what other sports do for you. It keeps you in that process. Yeah. Going back to Eckhart Tolle and the power of now and just recognizing that if we maximize the present, then we're going to maximize the chances of getting what we want in the future. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, it's, it's sitting so true. And just knowing, like I said, when it comes to experience and knowing that these days, I feel like that's one of the biggest things I try to do with my, my guys. You know, when you hear me cue a lot of the times, a lot of the, 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 the motivational stuff I'm really trying to get in their ear about is just, is just high focus for this particular rep, high focus for this set. It's just always constantly, bringing them back down to what they're doing right now, right here. Yeah. And that's something that I try and attack every day in terms of high school football. If we attack Monday, if we attack Tuesday, if we attack Wednesday, if we attack Thursday, then Friday is probably going to work out. No, regardless of outcome, you know, in terms of where we are as a program and we, we play someone at a different level, we may not win. But in terms of instilling the right habits and being properly prepared and going through that process, that's, that's why I'm such a big believer in and why I love football so much is that it teaches young men just the importance of attention to detail and the process and all this stuff that, you know, being present and the importance of the ref, it, it really magnifies the importance of all that. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, I, I, we were talking about my businesses and everything I have going on for me now. But, you know, it's it tells me a lot about a young man when he comes in as an intern or wants to work for us. If he's played sports before, you mm. know what I mean? Because I understand that, you know, there's so much I equate to my business to the game of football, um, just all the way down to how we run meetings everything i'm constantly reading some of the greats when it comes to coaches and if you look at guys like Saban, you look at guys like belichick they have the all the parallels that run with them is you know they're not necessarily they can't they they could be good at x's and o's but it's not necessarily that you know i often i think i was talking to somebody earlier i watched that uh training day when it comes uh, the 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 alabama training days mm. which is kind of like the hard knock version of uh of college football. Um, and one thing that really stuck out to me, the first episode, the first 20 minutes was Nick Saban in his meeting, you know, he was upset with his coaches because they wasted four minutes in actual practice. And it was because they didn't go over the drill in the meeting. And immediately I just got all these ideas of what I need to be doing with my guys here when it comes to business. And it was just one of those things that, a, his attention to detail, and B, his his devotion to the process day in and day out. It really struck a chord with me. 
and people, everybody wants to know like what makes Alabama, Alabama, obviously it's not the X's and O's, it's the Jimmy and Joe's, but at the same time, it's from the top down, the head coach understands you need to focus on that process every single day. Yeah. Maximizing minutes. And it's the Jimmy's and Joe's cause he's, he's putting that same attention to that meeting and that same process to his recruiting and then turning them from 17 year old young men when he gets there to how they end up at 21, 22. It's, it's, it's the same every minute, every day attacking it. Excellent. Absolutely. Okay. And then how did you get to Arizona? And then why did you recognize it might be, it might be good for you to get out of Florida for a little bit? Yeah. So what I recognized was, you know, when I, like I said, when I kind of got left kind of hanging off, uh, the next year, um, out of high school. Well, let me say this too. I don't tell, I tell people I'm pretty transparent about it. I didn't really hit my quote unquote man strength until after high school. You know, I couldn't, I remember graduating. I couldn't get over 185 pounds. And I was, I just remember wanting to get big, wanting to get big, wanting to get big. And I couldn't get over 185. And then that next year, uh, that next spring, I couldn't get under 225. I just all of a sudden hit this. I don't even want to say it was a growth spurt. It wasn't anything too much different. It's just, you know, that's the way my hormonal response became. I didn't take anything. I didn't do anything special. I just, I hit my man strength. And I just, you know, from there, I, I kind of just got, got readjusted back into my body, I guess you could say. And uh, yeah, I just kind of got my touch back uh, with, with athleticism. I don't know how else to describe it, but that... But, um, yeah, I just noticed that next year I worked really hard and I was like, you know, I, I realized I was at a community college. It wasn't what I, the, 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 you know, the story I wanted for my life. My story is I wanted to play division one football. I had all these aspirations and dreams. I had people telling me my whole life I could do it. And then, you know, a couple of years, a couple of down years of just kind of, you know, kind of, uh, you know, messing around and not not taking it serious. And then that coupled with a little bit of injury, I just found myself not recruited at all. So I said, okay, you know, here I am, I'm working from the bottom again, but I liked my backup against the wall. Felt good. And uh, from there, I, I just started doing a little bit of research. I found this school called Pima Community College. The year before they, they won the national championship and they sent a lot of guys to the, uh, to, uh, to division one schools. Um, I contacted the coach. I let him know, you know, it's funny because junior college football, if you ever watched last chance, you it's, it's exactly how it's portrayed on last chance. You it's, it's, that's why I love the show so much. Cause it's, it's exactly what it is. You know, you got a bunch of kind of misfits. You got a bunch of guys who, who, who are entitled and felt like they shouldn't be there or be in this podunk town or city, um, you know, and they're trying to get to the next level and they just, some guys, you know, they're immature. So they're going through this process, they get handed the world and then all of a sudden they get dumped down and they get knocked down, you know, and that's how you kind of respond and you kind of react from there. Um, I told the coach, you know, he knew we were from Florida. He knew we, you know, where we were from and stuff like that. So at the time the school didn't offer scholarships. He didn't, they didn't offer any of that. Um, so you just kind of had to go out there on a whim. So I had this 
beat up, broke down Maxima. <laughs> I convinced two more of my buddies to to ride out with me that wanted to play college football as well. They were my training partners. And uh, yeah, we just, I, I got them to take a leap of faith. I remember I sold all my gold and I cashed in my, my pennies jar, whatever you want to call it. I had about $400 to my name, maybe a little bit more. Um, you know, packed up my clothes and, and I shot out there and, and just, uh, yeah, just kind of, you know, at the end of the day, I would never exchange it for anything. It was extremely tough, but I, I loved every second of it because it felt like there was still hope. There was still opportunity. There was still a chance to play at the next level. I just needed to put myself in the right situation. And I created that for myself by, uh, by going out to Arizona. And then you mentioned, you tell a story in your, in your vertical program. It's everyone listening. I, I highly recommend you guys check out Chris's flight program in terms of push, uh, increasing your vertical jump. Could you tell the story of the, the trainer you met out in Arizona and the, the five-minute Bulgarian squat goal that Holdy had you do and kind of that – just kind of that whole experience and what that was? Yeah. Yeah, so same way. Like, you know, in my mind, I just knew that, like, I was out there for that. But it, it, I have to let people know, like, I worked with a trainer or two before Arizona, but they were like – trainers weren't the gyms the trainers they weren't like they are these days you know you went to a chrome and carpet gym i was a janitor in high school at a world gym so like you know that's kind of like a la fitness it's completely different you don't go do a bunch of jumps and stuff like that you didn't have those kind of trainers you had trainers who were you know physique competitors and they wanted to make a make a dollar by working with some middle-aged person and be able to get them, you know, some fat loss. It was a way different scene. Um, so I worked with other previous trainers and it was just one of those where I, you don't really have too much luck and nothing was sports specific. You know, the, the knowledge out there wasn't as, as uh, there wasn't a plethora of knowledge like there is now that you can find on the internet. It's a completely different scene. So when I got out there, I, I remember researching online and finding this, this coach who worked with Adam Archuleta. Adam Archuleta was a safety back in the day and who just put up one of the best combines. But this was before they had all the testing they had. But, you know, even if you research and watch some of his videos, you could tell this kid was moving. And he was a he was a previous walk on to Arizona State. So I just, you know, in my, in my heart, in my mind, you know, after seeing that, I knew he was about three hours north of me. I was in Tucson, and he was in, I want to say it was like Glendale or Scottsdale, one of those up there by Phoenix. And, um, and yeah, I just essentially, I did my research. I knew he was up there, and I'll never forget, like, I, I, uh, I like, forget how I did it, but I basically took the little bit of money I had and, and, you know, drove up there and paid him. I like scrapped it together. I think I might even put it on credit cards. Um, but yeah, so I went up there. I, 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 um, I went up there about two to three times and, uh, yeah, the first time it was actually not Jay who helped me out. Um, who actually helped me out was his assistant. His name was Charles Maka. And, uh, he was like this big Polynesian guy and, um, yeah, he knew I was playing down there and I told him like, you know, I want an in season program for now. And then as soon as this season's over with, I would love to be able to get another program to be able to continue outside it, you know, 
on my own. So, uh, so when I went there the first time, he had me perform, uh, he had me perform a, um, uh, uh, basically a split squat hold. You know, he, he, we didn't warm up. We didn't do anything. I, I wasn't really sure. Even to this day, I think he was just, I don't know if he was testing my mental strength or what the deal was, but it was just an isometric hold. And, and he had me build up to some ridiculous amount of time, at least what it felt like. It took me like 30 minutes to hit the time. It was like five or 10 minutes. <laughs> and, uh, and man, I just remember just, I remember just thinking like, you know, what do I, you know, I just remember even thinking like, what is going on right now? What, you know, I just, I didn't know what to think, to be honest with you. But, uh, you know, here I am, I paid for it. I paid cash for it. Or, you know, I, I, I emptied the, the account and I just had to go along with, I had to go through it. And, uh, after that, he, he spoke with me, talked with me. He gave me a program that I followed, um, in, in you know in the in, in the uh, season during that season I ended up getting hurt so I couldn't follow it as closely as I wanted to um but yeah it was it was definitely one of those where I learned a lot as far as uh you know it was a little bit in, before my time I'll say that there was some different things that they had me doing that I just had no clue of what you know, I was kind of from an educational standpoint, I wanted to understand why I was doing what I was doing. And uh, looking hindsight, I could see a lot of the benefit to what he had me do besides the that whole first session. But other than that, um, he had a lot of tactics, he had a lot of methods that I think um, still ring true to this day that I really, really liked. And uh, yeah, it was a, it was a pretty, pretty crazy experience. And then Archuleta's former coach, is, is it, it Schrader? Is that yeah, Jay Schroeder. Jay Schroeder. Okay. And then how would you kinda how would you kinda distill his training philosophy in a couple sentences? Yeah, so what he's essentially trying to do is it's a lot of plyometrics. Uh but what I've really pulled from it was, you know, being able to train the muscle at a longer range of motion. Um, being able to utilize a lot of absorption tactics where you're teaching the athlete how to absorb force. See, most athletes start to get into jump training and sprinting and stuff, and they never really take the time to teach their body how to absorb force because any athletic movement is obviously three phases, eccentric, isometric, and concentric. And, you know, just like a jump or a plyometric, you have to teach the body how to kind of generate that energy and then utilize it right that's really all it is um so when you teach an athlete how to efficiently absorb force they can then in turn be able to produce more force so a lot of his stuff was a lot of isometric a lot of uh a lot of like series of depth jumps and things of that nature that really teach the athlete how to absorb force and uh and then in turn you know the 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 the, the rock star of all that motion is how high you end up actually jumping. So before it's the 44 inch vertical jump or how high you actually get up or the dunk, it's, it's how you, uh, it's how you train your body to absorb force. The easiest kind of, uh, metaphor I can draw from this is if you look at a young athlete, you know, and you tell him to dunk a basketball, you're going to see him get a real big, neat 
knee bend and hip bend and really kind of crouch down to be able to jump as high as he can. Whereas if you look at like an NBA athlete, it looks like they're literally springing off a trampoline and it just, it looks like they're, you know, being able to just bounce up off of, off of nothing. A lot of times that's because they, you know, majority of them, they, they have the, the ability to uh, greatly absorb force to then uh, utilize that energy to produce. And then how was the strength and conditioning program at, at Pima? Pima, uh, you know, was, it was pretty crazy as I, you know, Pima was one of those things where I tried to keep, uh, I try to stay grateful for what happened. Okay. You know, I had, a, <laughs> I had our coach who was, uh, I, I, you know, I love him to death. He was a great guy. Um, he was a little bit, he had a little bit of used car salesman to him. You know, he sold us the world when we were going out there. We were a couple Florida kids. They knew they were under a little bit of investigation, um, but that's neither here nor there. We had a, we had, we had a great, I had a great time. I, I'll never take that back. Um, so they were a little bit hindered by who they could take out of state and scholarships they could provide, things of that nature. Um, so when we got out there, you know, I didn't realize that it was a whole new coaching staff. There was like two or three guys maybe from the previous staff. Nevertheless, we had a good staff and then it was kind of crazy after the first game uh, first game we actually were, we actually went lights out. It was like sixty three zero. We won. Next game we played a number one team in the nation, which was Snow College, and we got we got just mollywhopped. We got whooped, and uh, and it kind of just unraveled. The the coaches got into it on the sideline with the AD. Uh, it was a weird. I don't know how to. It's a long story, but we had a lot of kids on our team from the local area who's like parents and stuff started getting upset that. Their, their kids weren't playing, which in my mind, I'm like, this is this is college football. This isn't, you know, this isn't Little League anymore. Yeah. But I think they, they sold them the world, a lot of the local talent who was actually good. And, they you know, a lot of the out-of-state kids came in and kind of took over those positions. Um, but anyway, to answer your question, almost all of our staff who was extremely competent was basically – left or got fired after the, the second or third game. So, so, uh, it ended up being a lot of the local coaches, you know, uh, like our, our offensive coordinator came from Baylor. Uh, he was like a grad assistant. He wasn't like a, a coordinator at Baylor, obviously, but you know, he was on his way to coaching at the collegiate level. One of our DCs was pretty good as well. And then all of a sudden things kind of took a turn our strength and conditioning coach was helping at, at the University of Arizona. He ended up leaving. So at first in camp, it was like, wow, this is pretty good. You know, he played tight end at University of Arizona. He looked the part. It was pretty good. And then as we got into the season, things started to kind of unravel internally as far as the coaching staff. And, uh, yeah, it just kind of – we tried to make the best of it. And you got injured – in game in practice, what happened? Yeah, I got injured in the sixth game. Uh, I basically I played. Um, I went out there play, to, to play tight end. They ended up putting me at like H back, which basically they kind of just flexed me out of the backfield sometimes, where it was more of a fullback position. I ended up like running the ball, which I didn't. You know, those were things I didn't do, but I was just kind of a utility player, kind of like a Chris Cooley. Mm -hmm. um, if anybody remembers him, just you know, coming out of the backfield, catching the ball, lining up in the tight end sets. And, uh, and yeah, I had a screen pass designed for me, um, where it was kind of like a jailbreak screen where offensive line was letting everybody go. Well, the, well, the quarterback hung me out the dry and I, I jumped up to catch it and I just got, I, I, I got 
blasted pretty hard from the linebacker and I, uh, I fell on my side and broke my, shattered my collarbone. And, uh, that was about game five, game six. So after that, you know, there was, there wasn't too much I could, uh, they didn't think actually I was going to play football again after that. And from there you ended up at the university of Miami. Yeah. So pretty crazy. Um, after that, after that, I came home, and that's when I said, you know, I, I kind of alluded the doctor's orders and said, you know, I want to, I want to continue to play. This is what I want to do. Um, I still had, uh, you know, when I was out there, mind you, I could tell like there was guys I was facing that were that were getting big time offers, and I was seeing guys, and actually, I got a couple offers myself. Um, but I just had it in my mind I wanted to play at the University of Miami. Actually, my position coach was was like we're like almost best friends with the offense coordinator for usf which is in my hometown so i had these opportunities and it was just one of those things where i just had my heart set on university of miami that's what i was a fan of as a kid and it's just you know that's where i wanted to go um and i knew i still had so much left in my tank I, i could tell playing against some of these guys and that might just be a little bit of my ambition. I just that's just what I wanted to do. Um, so I came home. I rehabilitated. I found an, uh, a, a trainer uh, by the name of Elliot Hulse, who's now my business partner. And uh, yeah, he trained me up for basically a year and a half, prepared me for the University of Miami. Um, I got essentially they didn't do walk on trials. I didn't. I wasn't offered a scholarship. But I was. I said to myself, "Okay, I just need to get my foot in the door, and I guarantee if I start playing, I can I can compete for a scholarship." So uh, I, I've always been good at academics, and I've always been decent decent when it comes to grades. So I was able to, since the private school, was able to receive some some stipends and stuff like that, some some things to be able to go to school there, pull out some student loans. They didn't do tryouts, so I went ahead and got a um, preferred walk on. One of the coaches. You know, uh, one of the running backs was able to help me out. He pressed the film across to to the recruiting coordinator at the time. His name was uh, Clint Hurt. He watched it, and then all of a sudden, it was like, okay, you know, now I'm able to. Uh, he he liked the film, and he, he you know said, could I play linebacker? And I said, I'm a, I think I'm a little bit more natural of a linebacker than a tight end in offense because I'm an emotional player. Mm. Um, and yeah, so he just you know I was able to kind of start going through that process. And, uh, you know, as I was going through the process, essentially, uh, you know, just when it comes to transferring and all those things from a JUCO, there's a lot of there's a lot of things you got to take care of when it comes to school and compliance that I just wasn't aware of. So uh, I think by like the FSU game that year, which was like week two or week three, um, they just they still didn't push it through. And I just never ended up got to uh, got to play for them. Who was, do you know who the head strength coach was at Miami when you were there? Yep. His name was uh, Andrew Swayze. Okay. Very, and he's, he's, he was there for a long time. Yeah, very long time. He was a, he was a descendant of uh, Tommy Moffat, who's at LSU. Um, and he kind of came up under him. And uh, yeah, he was a weight room. I mean, I was able to still kind of go to a lot of the meetings. I wasn't able to participate in practice or anything like that, but. A lot of weight roomies. I, I was I was chomping at the bit because I liked a lot what these guys had um, uh, what these guys had going and the way they were running things. This was around this was the, the Randy Shannon era. There was actually only one other other walk on 
And, uh, but the way they ran it, you know, they were pretty close to the vest at that time because they knew this, they knew this, uh, this whole Ponzi scheme thing and this whole thing that Miami got in trouble for the sanctions and stuff. Mm-hmm. That was literally the year after my first year there. So it was pretty crazy times. And I, you know, the, the way they were able to run the program and everything was, uh, it was pretty awesome to see, you know, cause I come from Juco and then you see kind of the inner workings of a big time program. And it was like, wow, you know, this is uh this is night and day. And then shifting gears here a little bit. So I, I had my assistant go dig up the untethered soul. I knew I had it in here somewhere. So I want to read you my favorite part from that. And then okay. I want to tell me what you think. All right. The, it's basically it's this thing about the roommate. This is, this is from Singer. Basically, you're not alone in there. It's talking about your mind. There are two distinct aspects of your inner being. The first is you, the awareness, the witness, the center of your willful intention, and the other is that which you watch. And this is, this is where it gets good. The problem is the part that you never watch never shuts up. If you could get rid of that part, even for a moment, the peace and serenity would be the nicest vacation you ever had. So I think that's that's the part that really took out from the book is this this idea of self-talk, which is so important for everybody. I mean, athletes included, right? But it's like the most important relationship you have with with anybody ever is is your relationship with yourself and this this dialogue that you're having with yourself. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, it's one of those things where I loved, I just, I, I told you I was reading that book and uh, just the, the way that he was able to, because, you know, when you listen to Eckhart Tolle, he's a little bit more, more spiritual, a little bit more out there. When he, when I read that from Singer, I was like, wow, he kind of drew a parallel that was pretty awesome for somebody to be able to think about on this, you know, on a different level. And, uh, you know, going off of what you were mentioning with the, with the self-talk and stuff like that, you know, one of the things that they also say in that book is like that roommate, you know, which is essentially your mind is constantly talking and you're constantly going from one problem to the other. Um, so it's so important for you to be able to either a, you know, I look at it as a young athlete. It's not like you can just enlighten them. One thing you try to do as a coach is try to just bring them back down rep by rep. Like we were talking about, right. Mm Mm-hmm. Or B, allow them to kind of boost themselves up to to be able to kind of have a little bit more positive self-talk, um, you know, and, and, and that can lead over to better better sets, better reps. In the grand scheme of things, it adds to a better athlete, you know, if you continuously build on top of each other. Yeah, one more. How would you feel if someone outside really started talking to you the way your inner voice does? How would you relate to a person who opened their mouth to say everything your mental voice says? After a very short period of time, you would tell them to leave and never come back. But when your inner friend continuously speaks up, you don't ever tell it to leave. No matter how much trouble it causes, you listen. And that makes me think about what you were saying with like Nick Saban and maximizing minutes and recognizing like what it takes to go from just like a where you were as a, you know, a starting 10th grade safety to make it to a, being a starting safety in the NFL, how much time day after day after day you have to, 
you have to dial that self-talk in in terms of I'm going to I'm going to appreciate and dig in this process whether I feel like it or not having no idea whether it's going to work out the way I want it to in the end Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely you know and it kind of goes along with the whole theme that we've been talking about this whole time it's like you know if there's one thing that I really try to you know the subliminal thing behind it because when you talk to a kid it's like Look, you know, you say don't focus on the outcome, the end, the end goal of the end of the offseason. You want to focus on the day-to-day process. And, you know, at the end of the day, you can't really explain that to them. So as a coach, a big thing that you want to do is you want to have that mental note constantly and have them fall in love with that process. Have them fall in love with each set, you know, and, and have them just be able to, you know, not only enjoy it, but also be able to focus with intent on each on each one and and I know that if I continuously be able to do that that's kind of the side of things that I didn't have you know I was constantly just able you know focused on the outcome and and uh if you quiet the mind I think that's truly what allows you to uh to be able to focus on on what you're doing right then with with great intent and I think uh that's what a lot of times separates um a lot of the goods from the greats. And then when did you start falling in love with the process? It sounds like when you started training with Elliot Hulse when you got back to Florida. Is that accurate? Yeah, you know, he showed me a different side of things, that's for sure. He saw, he showed me training I wasn't really doing. You know, I was flipping tires and, and uh, you know, doing all these things, bench pressing and deadlifting and squatting heavy, you know, things, things of that nature that uh, – you know, pushing sleds, running, jumping. Uh, so it was just, it was just unlike any other trainer I had. Like I said, obviously Jay was different, but Jay was still in a, in a gold, he was like in a gold gym up there. Mm. Um, so they had his own, he had his own room. Uh, Charles did, but, uh, it, it was still was in that kind of gym here. It was like, I was outside, I was doing all these things and I just, I kind of just fell in love with it. And I became, I became a beast. And, uh, yeah, I love that. I love that part of the process, but I really wouldn't say until until like I actually started training for um, my second combine is when things really started to click for me of just stacking training session on top of training session to get better. Um, I had an outcome of what I needed to do at that particular combine, and it was just one of those things that I said, you know, I hired a coach, and it was just day in and day out my focus was you know everything from top to bottom from you know I was training I was coaching at this time so mind you I was making a little bit of money it's not like I came from you know straight from the gutter but I I came from a pretty modest blue class blue class blue collar family so we always had I always had to work you know my family always had to work and it was just one of those things now I'm coaching and I'm coaching athletes so I'm kind of provided for on top of that so I could focus on, you know, waking up and making myself breakfast, taking my time, uh, being able to do the things throughout the day, being able to recover, take them, take the baths, go to my training session, be able to recover after my training session, all while still coaching. So it was just a beautiful thing. And through that, obviously, you have to get, I've noticed you have to get really tight on your time management and just continue to kind of stack those days on top of each other do the things that you need to do that are urgent you know schedule the things that are important but you don't have to necessarily do 
you know, delegate some things and then, you know, be able to avoid the, the BS that you don't necessarily need to add into your day. And, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't going out. I wasn't, I had a girlfriend, so I wasn't doing any of those things. And that's really where I said, Oh man, these are what those guys are kind of at that elite level are doing. You know, they're, they're able to kind of stack these days. And that's where I started to really see some of the best progress physically I've ever seen. And then if you, what would a, from just a typical in 2018, you have a guy that you're preparing for the combine. What would a day look like? If, if he just, he said, Chris, um, I want to, I'm giving, you're in, you're in charge of my entire day. What would it, what would that look like from, from wake up to, to sleep? Oh man, that's pretty loaded question. Um, but just to, you know, to kind of give a little bit of snapshot into it, um, you know, I would essentially, they would have two training sessions, uh, one recovery session um two training sessions would be split into combine drill work which is more skill specific the other session would be their strength and you know strength training whether that be in the weight room things of that nature uh, um you know the recovery session will probably follow the strength and strength session where it's a a little bit more just trying to take care of the body remember you're packing so much in such little time that they're thrown so much stimulus so they can get over they can get burnt out pretty quick so you just want to be able to manage and recover them uh really rapidly um i try to get them some kind of food service get their macronutrients dialed in as far as their caloric intake whether they have to increase or decrease uh you know body weight I try to make any athlete as efficient as possible for that test. So if it was something where, hey, we just need to, you know, kind of change the body composition so you're not lugging around any kind of body fat. Um, and then they might do a little bit of study as far as what they need to do for the actual combine. Um, and then just kind of take care of the stuff that they need to take care of outside of that to keep themselves uh keep themselves fresh for each day. I know a lot of the guys, I recently worked with a guy this past year, you know, it was one of those things where I was like, Hey, don't, you know, try to stay away from going out so much with the fellas and stuff like that. Obviously he was pretty focused and it was, you know, it's one of those things where they just go home and play Fortnite all night. <laughs> and then where do you see the athlete performance industry headed? What, what, in terms of your research and you being in the trenches right now, what, what do you see trending? Um, man, it's getting pretty crazy. I'm, I'm following some guys who this isn't to say I, I lost respect, but I see some guys, you know, everybody's always looking for the new thing. And to me, you know, the, everything's kind of already out there. You know, it's how we as coaches apply it and how we are able to connect and get the most. Um, Dr. Ralph Mann says, you know, it's not so much. Um, what you coach is how you coach. Mm. So for me, you know, the people who are going to separate themselves in the athletic performance industry are the ones that are able or, or know how to coach it. Um, Cause right now with the internet, everybody knows what to coach. Mm. Hell, I give away, I give away information every single day. That's in the same. I don't give away anything in my products that I don't give away for free. The only difference is, is, is how I go about coaching it and telling them directly exactly what to do. Um, and I think, you know, what's going to separate a lot of the performance coaches out there is the ones that can take, you know, different types of athletes, know how to properly cue them to get the response they want and, and, uh, 
you know, from, from a, you know, anywhere from a psychological, like we were just talking with positive, negative feedback to, to, uh, Hey, I need to know the right cue to be able to talk to this guy, you know, kind of, you know, break it down for them so that they can execute it. You know, I've had, I've had athletes who they're high, they're high, very, uh, you know, they're, uh, they're from more from an educational. So if you teach them on an educational basis, they like to know what the concept is. You know, I, I've had some athletes who are so smart where it's like, hey, literally I'm breaking down the physics of why we're doing what we're doing. And some athletes is, hey, just drawing that cue, that metaphor, you know, look out the window to get the proper bend motion that you're that you're trying to get. So I think really where that's going because the it's so saturated with knowledge you're going to find guys who are going to continue to reach and don't get me wrong there's always things more to discover but i think uh i think you know a lot of times it's going to be how you are able to coach a lot of these athletes and uh and uh, i think that's really what's going to separate a lot of the coaches in the performance industry yeah, I had Bill Burgos on the podcast a few weeks ago. He just got done doing his second stint as the head strength and conditioning coach for the Orlando Magic. And when he came back there, what their GM said to him was, yes, use use data analytics, use tools, but I want the focus is on coaching. We want coaching, you know, coaching over over the tools. Use the tools as a tool. We're not, it's, we're not relying on the tools. We're relying on you and your expertise and your ability to build relationships. Absolutely. Absolutely. And really when you can start to, you know, become that mentor, that figurehead to a lot of these athletes, you, you, the, the, the trusting process, the buying in process, if you have an athlete who's not bought into you, it's, it's, you're in an uphill battle. You know I mean? No matter what, you could be the smartest coach ever. That's, I tell a lot of these guys from academia, you know, they might, they might look at it and be like, Oh, that's not, you know, that's not very, um, you know, textbook. That's not what the research says. But at the end of the day, you know, you, you as a coach who are actually in the trenches working with athletes, you have to be, um, you know, evidence led, not evidence based, um, you know, and you got to constantly be able to work with these work, work with athletes and where they're at. And, you know, what the conversations you're having with athletes to try to convey, uh, you know, high end or uh, I shouldn't say high end, but uh, complex, um, you know, scientific principles when it comes to training is very different than what you speak in the classroom. So it's always being able to be relatable, always being able to show them, hey, this is why you're doing this and, uh, and, and getting them real bought in. And once you have them bought in that process, they'll they'll run through a. It'll run through a wall for you. Yeah, and you mentioned you were reading The Speed Trap by Charlie Francis. And I had mentioned one of my mentors is Dwayne Carlisle out here. And he talks about how he went and, and visited Charlie Francis for a few days to watch his training. And he said it was just so it – was, it was just simple. There was, there was a high-intensity day. There was a lower tempo day. And then, you know, there's, there's a million different ways to do things. But for Francis, this is what he did. And one of the best in the world at what he did. And then there was big on recovery and massage. But it was like it wasn't, you know, Francis saying all these crazy topics on, and on teaching that no one's ever heard before. His athletes weren't doing anything that, that Dwayne hadn't seen before. It's just Francis had had 
whittled it down. He'd been in the game for so long. He knew what was important, what was not important. And the focus is one on doing what's important as well as possible. And the results follow. Mm, I like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the, the, the longer I get in this game and the more experience I get in this game, I just find myself, you know, stripping away or trimming the fat off a lot of the stuff that's unneeded and focusing on the stuff that's really bringing me, you know, tangible results. Okay, I got something from the power of now. Now, if I can teach this to my, I got so I got two boys. I got I got nine and six. You you have a you have any kids? You have a lady? You single? I, I don't. I have a girlfriend, but I don't have any kids. Okay. Except, then act. Whatever the present moment contains, accept it as if you had chosen it. Always work with it, not against it. Make it your friend and ally, not your enemy. This will miraculously transform your whole life. That's powerful. Yeah, it's very powerful. Very powerful. Yeah, so at, at Castlemont, it's it's finding this balance. Like these these kids, they have so much stacked against them, but at the same point, having a, a victim mentality does no benefit whatsoever. You know? Mm-hmm. 100%. 100%. And it makes me think of so I, I have a lot of special operate special operators come on on the show, and the reason for that is first of all, I've never encountered one. I'm sure just like in any industry, they're out there. I've never encountered one that's not a really good guy. But second, these guys, the U.S. military has invested so much money, millions of dollars, to create high performers and and high performance teams. You know, it's just there's so much you can learn from them. But it makes me think of of Jocko Willink former Navy SEAL where he talks about anything that happens to him, he says, good, good. This is what I wanted. This is what's good for me. And I want to make the most of it. That's yeah. just so powerful. Yeah, absolutely. I read his book. Uh, I think it's called Extreme Ownership. And so I learned good. A lot of- oh, yeah, it's an amazing book. Amazing. And then what was the biggest thing you took from that? Extreme Ownership? Yeah. Exactly the exactly the title. Yeah, you know, I stopped. I literally, I read that, and I just, I stopped pointing the finger. I stopped looking at circumstance, and I just embraced every challenge that I have I had in front of my life. Um, I just took ownership of a lot more things. I became accountable of a lot more things that maybe, you know, you can start to look around and say, "Oh, boohoo, me," and stuff like that. And really, it just kind of wiped that away from me. Um, I think it was just more or less the perspective in general. I can't remember any particular gym, but as a whole, it was just I just found myself in in business, in my training, in any circumstance that I was unsatisfied with. It was hey, I'm, I'm taking ownership of it, and then. Just that concept, it's so empowering because mm-hmm. it puts like, I'm in control. I'm in control of my situation. I'm in control of why I am, why I am, why I am where I am now, and I am in control of, of where I want to be. So, so good. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Okay. If you absolutely 100% knew that you could not fail, what is the next major goal you would accomplish in your life? Good question. Um, now in this day and age, oh man, I'm not sure. I can tell you my goals right now. I mean, my goals are right now are, you know, given my situation, I don't want to get too deep into it, but I want to continue to provide for my immediate family and then start my own family. 
you know, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, I love what I do. I'm grateful for everything I got going on with a lot of the athletes I work with. You would ask me five, six years ago to probably said make an NFL roster. Hmm. Uh, but where I'm at right now and given my current situation, you know, I just want to see my parents good. want to see my, my brother and sister and their families good. And then, um, you know, I take extreme ownership of a lot of that. Even being the youngest child in the family, I take a lot of ownership of a lot of a lot of that got going on. And uh, just any way I can help and try to continue to build myself up so that I can continue to help and help them out. And then, uh, you know, next goal would be to, to be able to kind of, you know, start my own family and be a be a be a good role model for, for them and be a good provider. Um, that's really that's really kind of um you know, what I'm setting my sights on outside of what I have going on in business. Inspiring. Okay. I got some rapid fire questions here at the end. If you could do me the courtesy, please answer in one word or one sentence. Got it. Number one exercise to build relative strength. Push-ups. What are you most proud of in your life up to this point? Ooh. The team I've been able to build and the companies I've been able to build. Who is the most interesting person you have ever met in your life? Um, I had to go with my partner, Elliot Hulls. What personal limits are you currently stretching? Hmm, my, my time. <laughs> my time. What are the three most important values, character traits that you try and live by? Uh, three, I'll give you two, honesty and loyalty. And what is the biggest life lesson you have learned in the last six months? Be grateful. So good. And last question, this, you're not constrained in terms of how you want to answer, answer any way you like. What is one piece of wisdom you would give to a 17 year old high school athlete who comes from absolutely nothing yet has high ambitions to leave a major impact on the world? Good question. First of all, I'll say, man, those, those rapid fire, I was really trying to stay to one word, but that was pretty tough, man. I didn't, I didn't realize I underestimated that, but, um, no, that was, that was pretty cool. But, uh, you know, to give a young athlete, um, any kind of words, if you have that ambition, you know, it kind of just goes along with this and I can't say it enough because I think that this was kind of overall theme and topic of what we talked about today. And at the end of the day is, you know, if you want to, you know, set the site high and where you want to go, but go do the work, fall in love with the process day in and day out, stack those reps on top of each other, stack those sets on top of each other, stack those training sessions on top of each other, week in and week out, month in and month out. And before you know it, you'll look up and, uh, and you'll be the player that you want to be. Um, you'll make the impact, you know, stay true to who you are. You're going to develop your core values along the way by being able to stay focused on what you have going on right now. Um, you know, a lot of guys, I often tell them, I can give you the best workout in the world, but if you follow a 50%, you're going to get half-assed results. If I give you the, the, you know, program that's not that good, but you follow 100% with intent, you're going to get amazing results and you're going to become a way better athlete. So it's not so much what you're doing, it's about how you're doing it. And uh, just continue to grind out and stack those on top of each other. And uh, as long as you develop that process for yourself, the, the sky's the limit for sure. So good. Chris Bernard, CEO, Overtime Athletes. 
entrepreneur, coach. I highly recommend everyone listening, go check out OvertimeAthletes.com. I personally purchased your speed program, your flight program, got a ton of value from both of them. Chris, if you could, you could share with us where, where everyone listening, where they can connect with you on social media, interwebs, all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can, you know, website is overtimeathletes.com. Uh, Instagram is at overtime athletes. Pretty simple. Um, Facebook overtime athletes, any, any, any platform that you're on, I'm sure there's an overtime athletes over there. I got an awesome team that helps support and tries to put out a lot of my content on different platforms and, I just continue to try to put it out, especially on YouTube, if you want to check me out there as well. Yeah, don't be humble. YouTube page is hot. <laughs> Appreciate you. And I just <laughs> want to say thank you so much. This was actually a real a real pleasure. Um, not that I expected anything less, but it was just amazing to be able to talk to another like-minded coach. And uh, yeah, hopefully for, hopefully, some of the athletes listening or coaches listening were able to get some value from this. So I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Well, once you once you mentioned you were reading The Untethered Soul at the start, I was like, okay, there's places we can go here. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Right hey, on. Chris, I appreciate you, and I look forward to having you on again soon, my friend. Absolutely. Thank you, Coach. Lovely. Well, I hope you got as much out of that interview as I did with Chris. Really smart dude, doing amazing things with – his craft, his business, his brand, and you can tell he's just relentless in learning. And I highly recommend that you check out Overtime Athletes. Again, I purchased a couple of the programs. They're great, they work. I highly recommend that you follow him on social media, especially the YouTube channel. It's hot, it's fire, it's bubbling, and all that stuff's gonna keep getting better after listening to Chris, because you can tell that this guy is a man who is relentless in terms of improving himself to give him the capability to help as many athletes as possible around the world. Absolutely inspiring, great guy. Look forward to having him on again. And if you found this episode at all educational and or entertaining, please do me a favor, leave a five-star review on iTunes because that gets more ears to the show, more ears to the show, more resources I can bring to the honorable young athletes in deep East Oakland. I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye-bye.